Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock M Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie, and this is Before the Box Score, the Surviving Coronavirus Edition. Are you sick yet, BK? Not. I gotta be honest with you, though. It's a little nerve-wracking. Like, I know there's a lot of people that are going to listen to this and immediately turn us off because I admitted that the coronavirus is a little scary. <laughs> um, but... It is like, it's one of those things where I see Coachella getting moved to October. I see Italy basically shutting down. I see all of these different things in the news that should suggest to me that I should be terrified. And yet I still see also on Twitter where all of the experts live, a lot of people who are telling me that (laughs) none of this matters. And so I'm, I'm very much confused as to what I'm supposed to feel about all of this. All I know what to do is wash my hands. And I'm just going to stick with that and assume that we're, we're good to go. Um, but yes, uh, hopefully you do not have coronavirus wherever you are listening. I hope you stay away from it. I hope you have a mountain of toilet paper to be buried in when you die in your house from quarantine. Um, but on to positive things. We got some football to talk about. We've got two, three, two, I don't know, some amount of days of spring football in the books. And uh, we also have a little bit of recruiting news. So here's the good thing, BK. We got a new member or a potential member of the Tiger football family and uh, offensive lineman Connor Tolleson from Jackson, Missouri. Did you uh, take a look at his tape by any chance? So I haven't had time to look it over significantly, but from everything that I've read, this is a kid that is super aggressive, super physical, and is a large, large human being. And so when I read all of those things and I read the fact that he has offers from basically everywhere in the country and he's a three-star 5.5 or 5.5 rated three-star out of this state, like those things don't really compute typically. Um, (laughs) It seems like he was maybe um, mischaracterized by rivals early on and it's a guy that the staff did a good job of getting in on early. This is the type of player that Mizzou needs to be getting. When they go in-state, and I'll let you, I'm assuming based on the question that you've kind of looked more at his tape, but this is the type of player that Mizzou's missed on far too often in recent years. And if they're able to get this guy to stay committed, that's a big get by drink. It is, it is. He is is a big dude. He plays big. Um, He looks like the meanest dude out there. Now, that's going to be true for pretty much anybody's high school highlight tape. Um, and yeah, as far as the offers go, like you, you wonder how many of those are actually committable, how many of those are just kind of testing the waters to see if you're interested. Uh, cause teams send out like, you know, 200 offers a year. But the point is, is that there were a lot of power five teams interested in the kid and he jumped early, which is a really, really good sign. 
um, as rivals in particularly, as we get through these kids' senior season, you're going to see fluctuations in the rating. Some of that is based off of what schools are recruiting them, but others are just like, oh, now we know he's committed to a Power 5 program. Let's really take a look at him. And that's sometimes when you see them go, oh, yeah, this kid's legit, and you bump him up you know, 0.1 or 0.2. Um, regardless. The other thing, Nate, like yes. you, you mentioned we're not sure how many of those offers are committable. That's 100% true. We do seem to know that Oklahoma wanted him, though. He went on true. A, he went on a visit there last weekend, or the weekend prior to committing to Mizzou, and everybody that covers Oklahoma seemed surprised that he decided to commit to Mizzou when he did. They mm. don't pay that close of attention to things whenever it's just some random kid that comes on campus. So That's true. I think the Oklahoma... Um, interest was legitimate, even if some of the others weren't. And if you're offering and getting a commitment from a kid who Lincoln Riley wanted, I'm into that. That's a guy that, I, for my untrained eye, I think that's a good get by Eli Drinkwitz. For sure. And it's always nice to get an in-state kid, too. You know, lock down the borders, as we always say. Uh, get a homegrown product to commit to early uh, to the program, so that's always nice. Uh, so welcome to the group, uh, Mr. Tolleson. You are large. I hope you stick around. We'd love to have you. Um, moving on to some other sprain notes, I was really intrigued by this BK. I don't know if you saw it, but Trey Williams mm-hmm. mentioned the other day that he spent most of last year playing injured. Uh, does that change your viewpoint of his production last year or the potential of the defensive in, uh, position going forward? So... There's a couple of different ways to look at this, obviously. On one hand, yeah, it does. Because if he was legitimately injured, it changes everything about the way that we should view Trey Williams from last year. Because when guys play injured and they play through things, they don't look like the player that you expect them to. That being said, sometimes this can be a little bit of a cop-out answer, right? Where it's one of those things where the guy didn't have all the production, and so he's going to say, yeah, you know, I had that knee thing that I was dealing with. Or, yeah, you know, my hand wasn't right. There's a lot of dudes that are playing hurt. Was he hurt or was he injured? And those are two different things. And so this is a long way of saying we just don't know how much of that is real and how much of it matters for next season until we get to next season. And I know that's no fun. And we're talking about this stuff in March and like, we've still got five, six months until any of this matters. Mm-hmm. I get all of that, but this is the season for optimism. And so because of that, I will go down the path. I will go ahead and allow myself to believe Trey Williams was injured last year. He wasn't himself. And that's why he didn't look the way that we all expected. So I'll believe it. Why not? And then whenever, if, and when I'm proven wrong, that's when we can react to it on the negative side of things. <laughs> Yeah, if you're grasping for positivity straws, you you take this and you run with it. So um, I still am not confident on who's going to start opposite him. Um, and it sounds like uh, the, the coaching staff is giving a lot of tryouts to a lot of existing guys, including one Mr. Akeel Byers, who is hey, playing. I've heard this somewhere. Yeah, who's been playing <laughs> everywhere on the line. Um, I, I appreciate a utility guy who can do a little bit of anything. Think Coney Ely in 2013 when he was lining up uh, on the outside during first and second downs and then passing down situations, line up on the inside. He was big enough to do it. He was fast enough to squeeze kind of anywhere he wanted to and was very effective in multiple places. However, and you've, you've talked about this a lot, BK, defensive tackle depth, nice. Defensive in depth, not nice. So would you prefer he stick to one position or do you like this kind of hybrid attack after out of Mr. Byers? Yeah, I don't care about the the playing one position at all, honestly. It doesn't bother me one bit when guys kind of are able to cross-train. Like, you see this on the offensive line sometimes. Not the same way that you do on the D-line, but guys cross-train, and you'll see somebody in spring camp, for instance, start out at tackle, move inside to guard, and then they go back out to tackle. It's not because they're going to play a lot of offensive guard over the course of the year, but if there was an injury that happened, I remember uh, Nate Crawford, whenever I was covering the team Mm -hmm. a few years back, he was one of those guys that could move inside or out. You could play him basically anywhere, and it allows you to do basically, you're able to play your five best guys on the offensive line when other players can do that. And that's all you want from your defensive line going into this year. You want to be able to play your five best dude or four best dudes on any given down. And if buyers can allow you the potential to do that, where you can put him, even if let's say you put him outside on the early downs where it's a run, running down, right? Mm-hmm. Go ahead and put him out there. I got no issues with that. He's better against the run and you maybe give up a little bit as a pass rusher, but that's fine. 
And then on your third down pass rush, quote unquote, candy situations, which is what Mm -hmm. Coach Cool used to call it. Go ahead, put him inside, let him rush from the inside and give him the advantage that way in terms of being able to use his length and some of his speed and go inside. Like, I got no issue doing that. Use anybody that you have to the best of their abilities and give them matchups where they can succeed. So if Byers' best ability is um, playing on the end, moving inside on certain downs, go for it, man, because this team's going to need some versatility to be able to get everything that they can possibly get out of this D-line when they just don't have a ton of depth right now. You're absolutely correct on that. Yeah, and you know, you're know you covering up your depth on defensive end if you let him play on the outside on standard downs you know then you're only mm-hmm. rotating Williams and Turner and Brooks and you know that entire crew and just one of those guys uh so I'm completely with you I love I love a guy who can play multiple positions I love a guy who can be at least effective in multiple positions and giving the lack of depth with the ends uh playing three deep tackles and one of those guys is fast enough to be on the end heck yeah do it but it's got to work that's the other thing you know if we start getting gassed um, on end arounds or quick passes and he's not hitting there in time, then, you know, okay, we'll, we'll readjust at that point. But uh, completely agree. More, the more play, uh, positions you can play, the better off you're going to be on the line. The other uh, guy, Nate, that yeah. could potentially help in this area, and I don't know how ready he's going to be because he's, first of all, new to football, and second of all, he's just getting on campus right now. But Ben Key, one of the things that you notice yeah. right away – whenever you watched his film, is he can seemingly play inside or out, right? And so mm-hmm. you could potentially have a couple of guys that have the capability of kind of, kind of rotating on the inside and out. And the other thing this allows you to do is if you put, for instance, buyers and Key on the same side on any given play, now you can run some fun stunts up front. It messes with the opposing offensive line. They never know where they're going. You can go inside and out, and that presents a whole lot of unique mismatches that you could have. So... If they're able to have him up to speed right away, that could also present some really fun possibilities from a defensive perspective. Ben Key, 6'5", 285. According to rivals, Akil Bowers, uh, Byers at last weigh-in, 6'4", 280. So those would be some bigger dudes, but they can move. Well, hopefully they can move. Uh, at least on Key's tape, he can move. So I really like that, uh, yeah, the candy formation, the heavier formation on the line. I do like that a lot. Um, speaking of newer guys getting into the rotation, Daniel Parker Jr. is out for spring practice, had something with his eye. Sounds terrible. Um, but here's the good news, guys. We know what DPJ is. We've seen it for the past two years. What we don't know is what the other guys behind him can do. You saw a little Nico Hay last year. You saw a little Logan Christofferson last year. You heard a lot about Brendan Scales and fall camp before he was injured. So Parker's injury, it sucks for him for getting reps, but it's going to be really helpful for those four guys to figure out the offense and get some reps with the ones. Um, what are your thoughts, BK? Do we have you know someone who's going to step up and light it up and possibly pass DPJ up, or are you just looking for some bodies to get some reps? Okay, so first of all, definitely not passing up Daniel Parker Jr. That's not what I'm looking for here. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I'm so glad that that was your take on this because earlier today, just to kind of take people behind the scenes, you sent me the notes and you said, DPJ, out for spring, are you worried? And I was like, am I supposed to be worried? Because I'm not <laughs> worried about this at all. No. Um, if it's what they say it is and they say that it's an eye infection and that he should be back for the fall, he should be good to go after this, but... Um, if that's the case, I'm not worried about it at all. If it becomes something more serious, we can certainly react to this at that at any given point in time. But as for what this means for the tight end moving forward, I'm really interested to see. You mentioned you mentioned Scales, you mentioned Christofferson. Those are the two that I probably have my eyes on the most. I know we had heard so much hype about Swinson. I just I don't feel like we've seen that hype necessarily realized yet. Mm -hmm. Scales is the one that maybe intrigues me the most, specifically because a guy in Eli Drinkwitz who could potentially use him in so many different ways. I mean, Scales is the type of guy that can line up at H. You can split him out wide. You can use him as an inline tight end. You can use him in so many different ways, almost the way that they can or should use Daniel Parker Jr. So... If he ends up being the guy that's the number one dude coming out of the spring, I'll be really interested to see how they use him specifically in the spring game 
And if they're kind of flexing him outside and getting creative with him, I know we talked about this a little bit last week, but that's the number one thing that I want to see from Drinkwitz. And I think that they could potentially have that in scales. So as a one for one, he's probably the guy I'm most interested in. For sure. You know, one of the most frustrating things with the offense last year was the utilization of the tight ends where DPJ would be deployed when they're in between the 20s, uh, so in the open field, and then they'd only bring in Albert O uh, in red zone situations. And it was just like, okay, well, now you're dictating you know, what plays you're calling or you're, you know, seemingly kind of showing your hand. It would be really nice to have a couple of different guys who could do several things or mix and match so it's not so obvious. And I'm really hoping that the young, energetic, offensive mind of Eli Drinkwitz can utilize <laughs> scales or hell, even Swenson. They said he was very acrobatic and great hands. And, you know, if you use those guys in the open field that can block and cast just as well, uh, instead of just being, you know, a bigger wide receiver, uh, it'd be really nice to see that. And just for scales' sake, uh, because he's uh, from Wildwood and he's stuck around and kind of been buried on the depth chart. I think that would be a nice story to follow for the kid who stuck it out and kind of finally broke through in his senior year. You dig? I'm absolutely in on that. Um, I I have been interested in him. This sounds that's a strange way of putting it, but it is. I've Keep going. Been, <laughs> I've been interested in seeing what he can do for Mizzou basically since he got on campus because he came with so much hype. And if you remember the recruiting sco- story with Scales. He was originally supposed to go to Bama. They asked yeah. him to, like, gray shirt or whatever. Mm-hmm. He ends up coming to Mizzou. He gets the scholarship there. And it was such a cool story early on. And then it just it hasn't really gone the way that I'm sure a lot of fans would have hoped that it would have gone. But for an in-state kid to actually stick it out the full five years, despite it not necessarily going the way that he had probably hoped that it would, it is kind of a cool story, and he's been passed up on the depth chart multiple times by guys that are younger than him, and I'm sure that's been frustrating to watch. So uh, for him to have this one last hurrah and to finally be with an offensive mind like Eli Drinkwitz, who I hope, pray, believe, think, can really utilize his abilities to the best of their possible potential, uh, it, it's a great story, man. And the other one that I would look at is, as I mentioned earlier, Logan Christofferson. He's huge, man. They have so many of these really long tight ends on the roster. They have, in terms of the physicality and like the the prototype, what a lot of these teams are looking for. Now they've just got to be able to use them. As I was watching, and I wrote about this recently for Rockham, but as I was watching Albert O at the Combine, man, it was just one of those things where it's like, God, they couldn't find any way to use this player between the 20s. They really couldn't. (laughs) <laughs> and they just they, they didn't they refused to do it and some of that's probably the blocking but you look at the nfl every weekend man you've got guys everywhere that can't block they're just they're basically big <laughs> yeah. receivers find yeah. a way to use them get these guys on the field flex them out put them in the slot get them matched up on a linebacker and go to work like that's what these guys are there for and i'm hoping that Eli Drinkwitz is actually able and willing to use them in that way. And so that's a long roundabout way to say, yes, I'm excited about Brendan Scales. <laughs> <laughs> so you you mentioned a term, and I want to clarify because I'm not totally sure if our esteemed listenership knows it. You mentioned the term gray shirt. Now, we all know what a red shirt is. That's someone who is on the team but only on the practice squad. Right, they're not playing now. Obviously, the redshirt rules were loosened up last year, where you can actually play in four games. You know, be a part of the team, play in four games, and not burn your eligibility. That's the entire point of a redshirt. I'm going to get this mixed up. There's blue shirts and there's gray shirts. Gray shirts. Correct me if I'm wrong. Gray shirting means you are a walk-on, and you don't get a scholarship until a spot opens. Is that right? Correct. Typically, and I'm not. I'm not as well-versed as I probably would like to be on this, but from my understanding, the way that it is typically portrayed is that the first year that you're on campus, you will be a walk-on, and then the hope and belief is that by year two, you will be on scholarship. So that's kind of the way that they sell you on it. Is that the way that it always works? Of course not, because these coaches are lying through their teeth all the time, but that's the way that they sell these players on the idea of what's coming their way. 
And they right. can do this at any time, right? Like they can mm-hmm. offer you a scholarship and then signing day comes and they're like, hey, sorry, we filled your spot, but we'd love you to gray shirt. And mm-hmm. my understanding of the way that it went is that's kind of what happened to Scales is they were waiting on some dudes that were rated probably higher on their board. They ended up picking Alabama and they were like, hey, you can't come here anymore unless you want a gray shirt. And he was like, well, screw that. I've got offers that I would love to take <laughs> elsewhere and mm-hmm. ended up coming to Mizzou as a result. Absolutely. Now, Doc Holliday over at Marshall um, utilizes gray shirts and blue shirts a lot. He takes a lot of um, a lot of kids who have been kicked off of Power 5 teams or who are have academic issues, and he'll do what he calls a blue shirt, where instead of going the JUCO route, you enroll in the school as a student. You do not – you're not a part of the team. You don't practice. You don't travel. But the understanding is once they open up the scholarships, then you get to come on and join the team. So there's a lot of funky ways for roster management to work in college. And all of these coaches have really interesting ways of doing it. But just so everyone knows what a gray shirt, blue shirt, and red shirt is. See, you learned something today. All the same. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, it's a fine line between the two. Um, One thing that I don't think our listeners have any question about is how great Nick Bolton is. Um, and it sounds like he is trying to take a little bit more of a leadership role uh, this year, especially with the absence of Kale Garrett. Um, it's It feels a little presumptive to start talking about Nick Bolton's greatness, but you can't help but think after his sophomore year last year that this kid's got a lot of special moments left in him uh, for however long he's on campus at Mizzou. So... Just based off of one year and kind of projecting some magical numbers in your head, what is his potential, and where do you think he'll rank in the linebacking pantheon of the Missouri Tigers? So it's a really interesting question. Um, I I mentioned this to you as a potential topic earlier today, and I did so because I was reading from Power Mizzou, and Gabe put together his notebook of what he had seen at practice, and he was talking specifically about what you had said with – Um, Bolton trying to be one of the leaders on the defense and I was kind of going through my head and I was like you know where where do you think he ranks now and where do you think he will rank when all is said and done if he continues on this trajectory right and Bill Connolly was great at this and he always said like listen progress isn't linear and some Mm -hmm. of the dudes that were really great last year will merely be good the next season and some of the dudes mm-hmm. that were really bad last year will be awesome the following season and there's not just like the straight line going in an upward trajectory that we would like to believe so keep that in the back of your mind as we're kind of having this discussion <laughs> but throwing that out to the side and <laughs> having reckless speculation and all of that instead I-, I think he can be way up there man he's not gonna be spoon i I wonder if he can get to that Kentrell brothers level though, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of the type of player that I think Kale Garrett was becoming last year. I remember 20, I think it was 2015 for Kentrell brothers. Yes. Where everything just clicked for him. And it seemed like on any given play, he was making the tackle before the offensive player knew where he was going. Because <laughs> yes. brothers just knew the plays better than the offense did. And it was unbelievable to watch and talking with him throughout that season, because that was kind of my like my big season, my best season or my longest season of actually being able to cover most of those guys because they were in school while I was there. And so I was covering them after I had graduated and I got to know a lot of them on a personal level a little bit too. So I kind of knew Kentrell a little bit and the way that he had just grown really more so in the film room than anything else because he never had the greatest physical traits. But once he was able to put his mind and his body together and have that season, it was special. Nick Bolton's the opposite. He's got all the physical traits. And so if he's able to put it together with his film study and kind of become what Cale Garrett was last year from that perspective – Man, he can be a really special player this season. Where are you at on this? I, I Kentrell Brothers was was just smarter than everybody else and had the skills to get to the ball. That that was that was basically it. And Barry Odom put him in some great positions to do that. Um, I, there is, you know, I'm going to go the Matrix on you. There is no spoon, right? Like there's there's only one. He is not here. We will probably never see a kid like that again, and that's fine. But if we have a Kale Garrett, <laughs> if you have a Kentrell Brothers tackling machine, 
that's tremendous. I would take that in a heartbeat. And I think, you know, with, you know, no disrespect to, to Kale Garrett or, or even Kentrell Brothers, but I just think Nick Bolton is, is a more athletic guy than they are. And if he's got the smarts that Garrett had, you're getting dangerously close to spoon levels. Um, again, that's going to require, you know, really two more years on campus. If he has an excellent sophomore year and a dynamite junior year, bye-bye, he's gone, but he's not going to have the impact the you know that Spoon had of, of three years starting and on such great teams. Um, he'll probably be remembered like a Kentrell Brothers, where I was like, man, that dude was awesome. Yeah. That one year <laughs> or like that two years, you know, and that would be it. So, you know, pantheon of linebackers, you know, the the all time grades and stuff like that. A lot of that is impact on an emotional level that's tied to a team or like the amount of time that you're here. And I'm not sure he's going to be here long enough for that or have a team that's good enough for that sort of thing. But he's certainly smart. And he's sm- certainly athletic. And um, I think he's going to have a gr- well, I hope, but I certainly think that he's going to have a great season this year. I can't wait to see it. And that's one of the things that kind of stands out to me about Kentrell too is he was able to do it despite I mean that 2015 team we all remember oh. that season for what happened yeah. that year, and so the fact that he was able to break through and like we remember we I kind of put that 2015 team as much as it's the off field stuff that it will obviously be remembered for and mm-hmm. I don't want to go into all of that but that's what the season's remembered for in terms of on field. That defense was special, and it was special because of Kentrell Brothers. He's the one that made it that way, and he was kind of the identity of that defense. So the fact that he was able to break through on what was a very forgettable on-field season, I think that's what kind of makes him stand out in the back of our mind, and that's what it's probably going to take, if we're being honest, for this season from Bolton. He's probably going to be on what is, at best, maybe an average team, and so he's going to have to have a truly special season to really have that kind of to, – to be remembered the same way that Kentrell Brothers was. I think he's got that kind of potential, though. I, I really do. I think this guy can be special. And I wonder – where do you remember where Spoon was drafted at? Uh, I'm putting you on the spot here, but I, I, I don't remember where he was specifically drafted whenever he was taken in that draft. So I know he was taken by the Falcons in 2010. He was taken in the first round 19th oh, was, pick. Okay, that's the, he was a first-round pick. So I don't think Bolton will be that high, but would you no. be stunned if we look back and Nick Bolton's a second, third-round pick after the year? <laughs> no, no, I think that'd be well-warranted. Gosh, and especially if he turns in an all SEC caliber performance or, you know, he'll probably be on the Butkus watch list because everybody's on the Butkus watch list. But like if he is a finalist or he cracks 100 tackles or he does another one of those like multi interception years, like, yeah, get yourself paid, man. And and I don't know what the linebacking class is going to be for next year because I don't even know what it's like for this year. But being a standout linebacker in the SEC That'll get you paid, and I don't know if I don't know if it's first round, but I'm with you. Second, third round, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and I think the important part there is he can cover, right? Like he's not a great yeah. coverage linebacker, but he can cover and he can run, and that's what all these NFL teams now are looking for. And I know this is kind of projecting as opposed to looking necessarily at specifically next year, but if you can run and cover right now in the league, teams will find you and they will draft you early. And that's that's part of his skill set, and that's part of what makes him kind of differentiate from a guy like Kale Garrett or a guy like Kentrell Brothers is he has some more of those athletic traits that the NFL teams are looking for that maybe they didn't. Yeah, Kale and Kentrell are thumpers, right? And that, I think you yep. saw that with Garrett's um, combine where he was. they said he was slow, you know, but he's fast and he's smart, but, like, you need that, those cover guys. Kentrell Brothers, he's, he's still on the Vikings, right? Like a special teamer? Yeah, he's doing more special team yeah. stuff for them, but if you're able to make it this long in your career as a special teamer, as mm-hmm. a linebacker, that means you're bringing something yeah, in those meeting true. rooms because it's not easy to just continually make that roster if you're not adding anything defensively. If you're not bringing anything to the table there, you have to be either a really, really good special teamer or a guy that they really want yeah. in their locker room. Well, we'll see. Hopefully it's a good season for him. Uh, on the flip side, <laughs> the the unit that's probably going to struggle a little bit more. Let's talk some offense. 
Um, BK's got to take about the offense and what's going to be the key uh, to a successful year. And I'm going to disagree. So, BK, take it away. Interesting. I didn't know that this was going to be surprise. Take. All right, I like it. I'm 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 happy. I'm happy that that is going to be the case. Okay, so as I was kind of looking at the Drinkwitz model and what he was able to do last year at App State, his running game was pretty damn impressive, man. They averaged five and a half yards on the ground. They finished the season with more than three thousand yards on the ground. He had his leading carry guy had fourteen hundred yards on the ground. Number two was at six fifty two. They had thirty five rushing touchdowns on Woo! the season. That's incredible. <laughs> and so I'm not suggesting that Mizzou is going to do that this year because they won't. That is not <laughs> replicable, first of all, on the right. SEC. And second of all, with the talent that Mizzou has coming into the year on this roster. That being said, if you're looking at potentially what Mizzou has on offense with Robinson as the quarterback, a guy that can run a little bit, and you have the two-headed monster at running back with Roundtree and Beatty, Maybe the way that this team has to be successful, given some of the liabilities that they have at receiver right now, is by being just a badass rush offense. Like, just go out there, knock the teeth out of these defenses, have a ton of RPOs, but lean towards the R, the run <laughs> part of that those mm -hmm. RPOs, and just see what you can get out of Tyler Beatty and Larry Roundtree. Last year, we didn't see it realize its full potential, but... I think that's going to be, to me, the biggest task for Drink this year is finding a way to unlock what should be one of the better one-two punches in the SEC at running back. Now, I'm interested to hear your counter to that, Nate. What's what's your perspective on this? So I, I'm not uh, disagreeing that the run game is going to be key. Um, Drink has had, like you said, at App State, at Boise State, uh, at NC State, he's had like really – talented running backs or hybrid players and his success is predicated on the run you're absolutely right the run game's gotta it's gotta click that's not Roundtree and Beatty's job though because we need some dudes to block for them and right now we have no dudes who can block for them so you could have all the talent in the world and it doesn't matter if they're letting them through do you know how many yards Larry Roundtree accrued in 2018 because I think I picked him for my game MVP roughly, let's see here, they played 12 games, I think 12 times. Uh, <laughs> it didn't come through for me very often. Uh, so I don't have the answer to that. I'll go 750. So in 2019, he ran for 800 yards, a little over 800. Okay. And in 2018, he ran for over 1,000, over 1,200 actually. Yeah. What awesome. is the difference between 2018 and 2019, you may ask? Well, it, in 2018, we had an offensive line that was top 25. In 2019, we had an offensive line who didn't crack the 70th percentile in any single metric. So, to me, yes, you need the ground game to move. You need Robinson to, uh, as quarterback to get involved. You need Beatty and Roundtree to be Thunder or Lightning. You also need some big bodies to open up those holes. And I don't know who that's going to be, and Mr. Marcus Johnson, our new offensive line coach, is going to have to figure out a lineup that works well together and is effective not only as being big but making the right holes and making the right reads. If there is no offensive line who can do that, it doesn't matter what Beatty and Roundtree are doing. They're just going to be stuffed all the time, and we're going to be just as sad this year as we were last year. So – I don't disagree with much that you just said. Um, what I will add, though, as a little bit of a counter is a lot of run game is scheme. And I know that sounds weird to some of our listening audience because they're like, no, you just you give you be physical and you run it down their throats and you just win that way. No, not, not necessarily. <laughs> not in not no. in today's day and age. I watch a lot of NFL and the Shanahan name rings true because anywhere they go, doesn't matter who's on the offensive line. It doesn't matter who's at running back. They're going to rush. The running back is going to rush for 1,000 yards that season in the NFL. It's going to happen every single time. And we saw it this year with the 49ers with Kyle Shanahan taking over and just whipping up what is an unbelievably, uh, unbelievably schemed run game. I don't know how much of that Eli Drinkwitz is capable of. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. But that's what he's paid to do. 
And if you have a deficiency at quarterback, and it seems to me like Missouri might this year, and if you have a deficiency at wide receiver, and it seems to me like Missouri might this year, yeah, then yeah. you lean on what you have. And your talent right now would seem to indicate that your strength is the running game. I know it's at running back, and that's the least important position on the offense. That stinks, but that's where we are. You also have a really good tight end at blocking, and you have a couple mm-hmm. of good offensive linemen, although not a lot of them, a couple of them that could be good this year. So mm-hmm. the task to me is for Eli Drinkwitz to get the most out of his offense, and I think the best way to do that is by running the ball effectively and by him scheming it up for them to be able to do so. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Fair enough. Fair enough. They both got to work. capable of doing that? Uh, yes. I think Drinkwins is absolutely capable of scheming up a good offense. Um, will it work? I don't know. Kind of with you. It's like, <laughs> kind of t- tough to tell. Um, but we are banking on him to be doing that. Simply put, um, that's why we hired a young, energetic offensive coordinator to revitalize our slagging offense and keep the defensive staff around to maintain the excellent defense that we had the past couple of years. So, um, he, you know, I think he can, and then he better can. Is kind of where I stand on that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. The other thing, Nate, is I remember when Heupel first got here, and that season. Mizzou's offensive line the previous year, if I'm not mistaken, and I hope I'm not mixing up the seasons, but I'm pretty sure was bad the year prior. (laughs) Yes, it was scientifically bad. (laughs) (laughs) And Heupel gets in, and he brings this new scheme, and I had looked up a lot of his numbers from his offenses previously, and I was like, dang, they they never give up sacks. Now, a lot of that is because they get rid of the ball quickly, right? That's that's part of what his offense is predicated upon. Right. But they don't give up sacks as a result. And so he's scheming to what he has – And he makes sure to basically eliminate the offensive line's importance for his quarterbacks. He just says, listen, you're going to read X, Y, and Z, and then based on the answer to that question, here's where you throw the football. And it's going to happen really fast every single time. Do that, but for the running game. And it's it's, it's much easier said than done. I know that. But in terms of what Eli Drinkwitz's job is this year, that's it. Find the answer to being able to scheme up the running game even if you might not have all of the answers on your offensive line so david cutcliffe uh duke's current football coach he coached at tennessee he famously coached peyton manning he famously recruited eli manning when he was head coach at uh, Ole miss david cutcliffe has been around a long time and he is renowned for using the short passing game to be basically an extension of a running game that is lacking and you hire Cut because you understand that you are outgunned. As a you know, you hire him as a head coach to do that. And Marcus Johnson has worked with Coach Cut at Duke for many many years. Interesting. You mentioned you know the scheme of Hypo, and you know they trotted out five dudes in 2016. That was not a good offensive line by any stretch. But because they moved so fast, yeah, you couldn't get pressure on Locke. Don't be surprised with. The lack of noticeable talent in the receiving core and maybe some younger offensive linemen who aren't ready, don't be surprised to see Drink and uh, Hamden and Looper call a lot of quick passes to the sideline to open up the defense in the middle and then start pounding Roundtree and then get Beatty, you know, maybe a quick uh, screen pass off the side or line him up in the slot and have him take one of those quick passes far. Um, I think it could be a wheel very routes, wheel routes, baby, all day long. <laughs> <laughs> the the ultimate wheel route, absolutely. But this could be a very dink and dunk offense. Oh, a drink and drunk. Wait, no, we didn't. Oh, oh, uh oh. Um, we'll, we'll workshop it. We'll workshop it. Uh, but it, this could be a very matriculating kind of offense because I don't think the offensive line is ready. If we could establish a run, like you're saying, that'd be perfect. But I think Eli is going to find a way to mix it up and get the receivers involved to open up the running game a little bit more. 
I like the concept. I hope it works. I just, I have worries about this passing game. I'm, I'm far more willing to, as, as someone who's like hoping that the team is good next year because it helps us both personally and professionally. <laughs> um, I, I am looking more, I, I'm basically looking at the talent of where the talent is on the offense and it's basically at running back and tight end right now yeah. and yeah. saying to myself, how do you utilize that best? And maybe it is with a quick passing game to be able to open things up, but that that is that is Eli Drinkwitz's task this offseason, this spring, is finding a way to open things up for Larry Roundtree and Tyler Beatty, whatever the answer is to be able, being able to do so. And of course, we're not at spring practice, but there are a lot of paid professionals who are, so I hope they can, you know, ask the questions. They probably won't get good answers because it's obviously spring installation. It's not done, but I hope they ask those questions to kind of figure out what they're looking for. Uh, unfortunately, they won't be asking those questions of the quarterbacks because we found out today that all the quarterbacks are off limits as far as interviewing goes. Uh, BK, I think you have some thought on this. Would you like to share with the class? First of all, I don't understand it. Um, I, I don't think it's necessary. I'm always opposed to these types of rules, but that's me as a journalist and as a guy who got a degree in this kind of saying that I know a lot of our audience doesn't care. They're, they're going to say, boo-hoo, woe is me. I get that. That being said, what I am interested in and what I do think will be fascinating is finding out what the teammates are saying about the quarterbacks. Because one of the things that you need to do as a fan is read, because you can read a lot into both what is being said about quarterbacks and what isn't being said about quarterbacks. And one of my main reasons for being a little bit concerned about what Mizzou had coming back at quarterback, specifically in Sean Robinson, is I hadn't heard any hype. There was nothing. Over the course of the season, nobody was like, guys, you got to pay attention to this quarterback that we have that transferred mm -hmm. in, Sean Robinson. Yeah. He is killing it right now in these practices. Like He is a problem for us. And normally, you hear stuff like that, whether it's from people in or around mm -hmm. the program. You'll hear some, some whispers as to what's going on. Jordan Elliott, for instance, immediately comes to mind of, I remember hearing from people around the program that year that he transferred in from Texas, oh, this dude's going to be special. Like, he's our best defensive tackle, <laughs> yeah. and he's not playing right now. I didn't hear any of that with Sean Robinson. And so I was very happy, and I wrote about this a little bit last week. Uh, Peter Baugh had a Q&A with Christian Holmes, the former Mizzou cornerback who has now transferred to Oklahoma State. And he asked Christian Holmes, who are the guys that you think could surprise Mizzou fans next year? And here's what Christian Holmes had to say. Quote, I'm going to do a top five, and I'm not going to give you the full top five, but here's here's the part that matters. My number one is Sean Robinson with an exclamation point after his name. End of the quote there. That's what I wanted to hear. That's all I wanted. Yeah. I wanted to hear somebody say, Sean Robinson is awesome. <laughs> I don't need much. I just need somebody to get me excited about the fact that Mizzou yeah. has this transfer from TCU who was practicing with them all year, and I don't know anything about him right now. So... Um, I say all of that to say this. I want to hear the guys that are playing with Sean Robinson say how awesome he is, and I want them to do so in ways that are actually real. I don't want them to just say, like, yeah, you know, Sean's been good this spring. That doesn't tell me anything. If they can give us real examples as to what he's been good at, that's when you know that they're being real with you. You can read between the lines from some of these quotes, and that's the number one thing that I'll be looking for. I just want to pick quarterbacks' brains. I think they're, you know, they see a lot of the offense. They're generally pretty uh, amicable guys. They know a lot. They have a lot of respect in the locker room. And really, you don't want to limit access to anybody. But, you know, really just picking out one position seems a little odd to me. So I'm with you on that. Um, but, yeah, as far as positivity, nothing wrong with that. This is this is the season for grasping the positivity yeah, straws man. and hoarding them for all summer. Um, so yeah, I was very excited to see that too. And, and hopefully as we get through spring, as we talk to a couple more of these guys, they start loosening up a little bit and talking a little bit more about what they see on the field. Uh, speaking of things that you see on the field, little, uh, interesting tidbit here. So I guess, uh, the Drinkwitz regime is really making new guys earn it. Um, so there's four freshmen, um, on the, on the team right now for spring, and then, of course, the transfer, Damon Hazleton Jr. The new guys do not wear numbers on their jerseys and have no names anywhere on their uniform because Coach Drinkwitz says they have to earn that. 
They have to earn their name. They have to earn their number, and it's based off of their uh, the players in their position group and their position coach. I Look, I used to be 18 to 22 years old. I used to be a young man. I know that there's a lot of interesting motivational things to get you amped up and ready to go. This one seems a little odd, but if it works, go with it. Um, for you, BK, what's the weirdest motivational tactic that you've either had done on you, done to someone, or you have seen in your career covering football? So I remember this isn't something that I have seen personally, but I remember it was Coach K at Duke. He wasn't happy with the way that his team was playing. And so in the locker room, he took the stools that they had in front of their lockers. And he said, you guys don't get your stools until whatever it was. I think it was like defense that they weren't playing well or whatever. Um, Once you guys start playing better defense, let's go with that. You will get your stools back in this locker room. So stuff like this happens everywhere. It happens even with the best coaches. Nobody would accuse Coach K of being hokey or a bad coach. Even some of those guys Mm -hmm. use these sorts of motivational tactics. That being said, I still think it's hokey. <laughs> I just think it's so silly, man. Like, I, yeah, give him a number. I, I just, I think it's so silly. <laughs> I, I don't think you're doing anything or accomplishing anything with it. But whatever, you know, it is what it is. I actually thought the funnier one um, to come out of this weekend is: Did you see the story about how they're clocking in with the speed bag? Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. So anybody that hasn't read it, basically my understanding is they've got like this speed bag as they're walking up to the practice field and they like punch it a couple of times to signify that they're clocking in for practice that day. It's just, it's all so ridiculous, but whatever, man, if if it makes the spring go by a little quicker for them, so be it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, all right. So we, uh, BK, you asked our, our listenership for some questions. Um, yeah, just listener group questions. Anything that they want to find out from from us, I guess, because they think we are smart. Since we God knows why. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're still fooling him, BK. Let him believe. Um, so we got a couple here. The first one is from Kevin Free at Kev Free R Die Hard. Uh, he says, realistic expectations out the window. If Drinkwitz is the next Gus Malzahn, then how many games will we win this year? Or do you want to go first on this one? Well, if he's the next Gus Malzahn, then we're going to win 14 games. <laughs> right? Um, realistic expectations out the window yeah i mean gosh if, if he is truly gus uh, incarnate which if you go back to the 2000, 2013 yeah, season first year is when gus malzahn took over um expectations for him coming in were yeah not this year but probably next year and then they went and i think they only lost to a&m and won the west beat us in the sec championship and then uh took florida state to the wire in the national championship game. So I guess that would be the unrealistic expectation. I don't remember them beating <laughs> us in the uh, SEC championship game. I, I blocked that, that game out of my memory. So I, I don't. God, I, you are so lucky. <laughs> I, I, I did Trey, Trey something. I, I don't remember his name. He, he didn't run that for that many ah, yards, right? Whatever. Not certainly not <laughs> over 200. There's no way that's true. At least Mizzou was playing with four down linemen the entire game. So that's good. Oh, gosh. Ah. Well, well, Kevin, I, I think, you know, if he is the next Gus Malzahn, you know, Gus has had some trouble at Auburn because Auburn's just a weird, weird monster. But um, if he is the next Gus, sign me up. I am Heck cool yeah, with that. man. I'm assuming you are too, Yeah, right? absolutely. That means you've got one of the better offensive minds in college football too. Like, Gus is a, a little bit of a weirdo, and for whatever reason, Auburn fans have that unrealistic expectation that a lot of the fans in the SEC have. And so they're never happy with whoever their coach is at any given time because they're not Nick Saban. And so they're never going to be happy with that. But if let's, let's go ahead and take this for what it's worth. If Drinkwitz is Gus Malzahn and he is legitimately special, well, they're beating central Arkansas. They should beat Vandy. (laughs) <laughs> they should yeah, beat South Carolina. Yeah. They should beat Eastern Michigan. 
at worst, Tennessee is a 50-50 game. They should beat BYU. They'll lose to Georgia. Okay, we'll go ahead and give Georgia that one. Kentucky, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see, but that's a probably 50-50 game if you've got a special head coach. And you're probably losing to Florida. You probably finish the year with like three, maybe four losses on the schedule. So, yeah, I mean, eight and four, nine and three, not off the table if he's the next special head coach in the SEC. But, man, that's that's all yeah. it's asked for. Yeah. It is, especially since we're so outgunned. But, you know, that's okay. You know, if he's, if he's you know, the offensive genius that we're paying him to be, then he will figure it out. Um, and then we have Ron Davis at the Ronald Davis. The Ronald Davis. Man, good for you. <laughs> um, Mr. Davis asks, I am always intrigued by the unknown and new pieces. Yeah, you and me both, man. Um, who would you say are candidates who redshirted slash saw limited action last year uh, ready to make an impact this year on both sides of the ball. Who are your top incoming freshmen ready to play on both sides of the ball? So let's start with the red shirts on offense and defense. I'll have you pick one uh, on both sides. What do you think? Red shirts on offense and defense. It, it th- These questions are always so difficult, man, because it's so hard to know – like, does Mike Ruth count as a guy that didn't really see a whole lot of time? Um, yeah. Delgado, mm-hmm. like, he's probably going to be a starter for them this year. I know it's not necessarily in the spirit of what we're talking about here, but I, it's so hard to know without actually knowing what they're going to be coming out of spring camp. Once we get out of spring camp, we're going to have a much better idea as to what this is, but... I'll give you one that I'll throw out there that's more in the spirit of what he's asking on the offensive side of the ball, and it would be C.J. Boone. I don't know what he's going to be this year. Yes. But it's a position of need. It's a position that doesn't have a lot of dudes that immediately stand out at you. Why not C.J. Boone? He was a good player coming out of high school. He came in with a lot of hype. Let's see what C.J. Boone can be this year. So that's a guy that actually fits into what he's talking about. Let's go with him. I like it. And I'm with you. Whenever you're thinking which, you know, insert young player here, who's going to make an impact, you got to look at position of need. Outside of receiver on offense, it's the offensive line. So I'm looking at a kid like Jack Buford. You know, maybe That's a Luke good one. Griffin. That's a good one. Um, Jack would be fun because he's from St. Louis, but, like, either either one of those two could slide in and, um, you know, either you know, pro- take a starting spot or at least get some get some reps throughout. So I would go with that on offense. On defense, you know, we have so much um, – the 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 youth is at, like, positions of incredible depth, and the needs are where all the old people are. But I will say on defense, Jamie Petway, who missed all of last year um, with an injury, he's a linebacker. You know, you had Jamal Brooks, you had Cameron Wilkins, you had Aubrey Miller uh, kind of alternating, trying to take Kale Garrett's spot. Maybe Jamie Petway jumps in and makes like the Nick Bolton splash mm. uh, and takes over that second spot. So there you go. That's my that's my random pick for redshirt freshman on the defensive. How side. about this for the defensive side of the ball, Jelani Williams? Um, Ooh, yeah, yeah. It's a tough position to crack, man, because Gillespie and Bledsoe are both going to get so much of the playing time there. But if let's say God, knock on wood, but if one of them were to get injured. <laughs> Um, Jelani is a guy that came in with a ton of hype and he's a super long athlete that could potentially be a really good player back there. He's the guy that I would go with on the defensive side of the ball that could make a bigger impact than expected if he is thrust into action. I like that too. Yeah. Now, as far as Mr. Davis's second portion, who are your top incoming freshmen ready to play, uh, on both sides of the ball? I'll go first on offense uh, I'm gonna go kind of cop out and answer, you know, what I put for the uh, the roundtable. But I'd love to see Jay Macklin make an immediate oh, impact at Mizzou, mostly for a legacy standpoint. Like I don't know if he's actually gonna be good enough to crack the rotation, but how cool would it be to have another Macklin on campus for like two to three years? That'd be awesome. No, that'd be fantastic. Um, I will go with on the offensive side of the ball the guy that I've been hyping up all along. It's gonna be really hard for him to crack the rotation. I understand yeah. that, but. Elijah Young just he has the potential to be so much fun for this team 
I'll go with him, even though he's probably also, he happens to be at the position that's going to be the most difficult to crack for any legitimate, meaningful playing time. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not, I certainly don't want to speak for you, but I kind of have a feeling that our their, our answer on defense is going to be the same, Mr. Enos Rackestraw. Oh, interesting. So you're saying the guy that picked Mizzou over Alabama is the guy that you're going with? You know, <laughs> call it a hunch. <laughs> Just call it a crazy hunch. Um, I, I certainly do not want to lump high expectations on this kid. Obviously, he's very talented. He was high demand. The worst thing we can do is expect him to be the second coming of EJ Gaines, like year one snap. But that'd be one. cool. Okay. That'd be cool. I'd be into that. I would be super <laughs> cool with it. Like, knock yourself out, sir. Like, that's that's totally fine by me. Um, so I think that is that is both our picks. And I think of all the ones we just made – I think that's the most realistic. Probably. Yeah, I would say so. Just because he has the most clear path, right? I, I think that's mm-hmm. the thing is you, you have to take in both talent and path to playing time. And when you look at what Mizzou has lost at corner and the number of guys that just get into the game on any given game at that position, he's probably the one that has the best shot of actually getting in there and playing significant, meaningful snaps. Although Buford, I actually do like your pick of Buford. I, I think that's one that yeah. makes a lot of sense. I I don't know that any of those spots at guard on the offensive side of the ball are 100% set in stone now, so I, I could see him getting in there. I could see him getting in the mix, and he can mix in at center as well. So I, he he's a guy that I wouldn't totally write off yet. That, that's a good pick. I like that one. I agree, yeah. Okay, now we're going to wrap this up because, I mean, we are in the offseason, and we got spring practice happening, yes, but you know, there's a lot of time to kill outside of that. And uh, BK had a really interesting dinner the other night. Do you want to regale us with your uh, your Twitter feed from a couple nights ago? So I'll give you the quick version here. I talked about this on the radio, and you can listen to me on 101 ESPN. I'm on from 10, uh, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. out here in St. Louis. So I went out to dinner last Saturday night with my girlfriend. We went to a sushi place here in St. Louis. And we get in there, and there's a table behind us with a couple that's sitting already. Don't think anything of it as we sit down, right? It's a random date night, whatever. So we sit down. We start eating. We start looking at the menu, rather. Uh, We're kind of hanging out. It's a quiet place, but you can hear the people behind us, this couple behind us, that's talking sternly, not like angrily, but sternly to one another. And I'm like, what is going on back here? So you know how it is. You sometimes can overhear certain things that are said. And one thing leads to another, and I hear, oh, this conversation is really not going well for this gentleman. Um, And it becomes very clear, this is more or less a breakup conversation in a restaurant Ah. on a Saturday night while they're eating sushi. And it's just like, we we have got to do better than this, people. We, We don't need to be breaking up in public on a Saturday night at a sushi restaurant. That's not what we need to be doing here. So that's the way that I spent my Saturday night. Unfortunately, I do not know how the conversation ended. We got there after they did and left before they left. So I'm guessing that the couple broke up. I do not have good hopes for them, but uh, I cannot say with certainty that they did. So that leads us to our final topic of the night. I've been and dreading if this all day is, long. I know. We're going to talk about the worst breakups that we have gone through. Would you like me to go first or second? I'd love to hear you go first, Nate. We're going to go first. All right. <laughs> so the worst breakup I ever had was uh, the girlfriend at the time was at what at my place. And this was while we were in college at Mizzou and we, we broke up. It was, it was not like, I kind of saw it coming and I knew it was going to happen at some point, but I wasn't ready for it right then. And there was an inciting incident and I was like, we are done. What I didn't factor into the calculus was that we broke up during a heavy ice storm in which there were three inches of ice on the Columbia streets and we got snowed in together for the next two days. (laughs) (laughs) So it's me, my now ex-girlfriend and my two roommates. And it's the most awkward two days of my life. There was no attempt at reconciliation. 
There was no, okay, that was a heated moment. Maybe we can work things out. It was, you're up there. I'm down here for two days and you want to leave and you can't. So that was, um, that was pretty dreadful. That's incredible. Oh, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Now, now you got to share. Yeah. You got to share what happened. All right. So, uh, Mine is not as humiliating over a long period of time, but it is far more humiliating over a short period of time. So um, I have never shared this publicly before. So this is fantastic. (gasps) Yes. Um, When my current girlfriend and I first started dating, I was a freshman in college. I was in a fraternity at Mizzou, and it was my freshman year first semester when this took place. Um, so I was definitely not drinking that night, you know, cause it was my first semester of my freshman year and you don't do that. You're 18. You weren't um, drinking then. Correct. Exactly. And so, um, I was hanging out at the place. We had some people over and we had always just kind of hung out in the room during that. Right. It was kind of a little earlier in the night. So at this point, I know I don't want a girlfriend my freshman year of college. I, I, I just would prefer not to have that be the case at that point in my life. I'm good. Sure, sure. Meanwhile, she wanted to have a boyfriend at that point in her life. And so um, those two things don't coexist very well. <laughs> and I was that guy that was like, it's just not easy for me to say I'm not interested in having this go any further. So I just avoided it. I just avoided the situation entirely and tried to pretend like she wasn't there. I wasn't there. We didn't have to talk to each other. Eventually, she'll just realize I'm not that interested in dating anymore. So she comes over. I see her at the part at the house um, and I avoid her at all costs. Well, she typically put her purse in my closet. And if you've ever been to a fraternity at Mizzou, you know, the closets are basically just there's an indentation in the wall and then there's a curtain in front of that indentation. That's kind of how that works. So she is getting ready to come over to the room and I can see her coming our way. And so I'm in the room and my bright idea is, you know what? I'm just going to hide in that closet. So that way she doesn't see me. Yes. So, uh, I go to hide behind the curtain that is in front of the closet, and she comes in the room. A reminder, she puts her purse in my closet. Uh So, she peels back Uh the curtain, sees me standing behind the curtain, and all she can muster out is say, I think I'm gonna go home. (laughs) And we didn't talk for the next year. (laughs) So, that is my breakup story of how my current girlfriend of seven years and I broke up and didn't talk for the next year. It was fantastic. Oh, you you tried to become an ostrich. You tried to ostrich your girlfriend into a breakup. She can't see me. She can't see me. It didn't work. Uh, well, it did work. It did get the intended consequence. It did get you where you wanted. Yeah, uh, just yeah. not the way that I was hoping. Oh, my God. That's fantastic. Yeah, it ain't great, Nate. I would not for any of our listeners. Uh, don't go that path. There, there are a number of don't, different don't do that opportunities. Like breaking up over sushi on a Saturday night in St. Louis, far better than what I did. Far better. Than way, what I did. way better. <laughs> All breakups are better with a California roll. It's, it's, it's science. It's science. It's proven. Oh my god. So, are, no I, closets. I know we got to get out of here. We were way over time. But are you are? for or against public breakups because i'm against it i think you should do everything in private oh Oh, strongly strongly against okay strongly against you take your business and you do it in private no one wants to see your dirty laundry okay um there's no reason for unless well no if you can if you can help it unless there's you know some kind of extenuating circumstance do it in private no one else wants to see that stuff Okay, we're on the same page then. I when you said every every breakup's better with the California roll. First of all, good line. Second of all, uh, wasn't <laughs> sure if that was your honest opinion or just an exaggeration. It could have gone either way there. I will say um, there is. Oh, can I do this? Yeah, I can do this. So there is a former um, director of marching Mizzou who was drum major of the marching band. So he was in charge of the marching band when he was in college. And he was he was quite the ladies' man, and so there is a bench 
somewhere on the quad, and we have not yet figured it out yet, because I was in March of Mizzou and all these people told me this. Um, there is a bench on the quad they called the Mikey Breakup Bench, where he would take his girlfriend of the week, sit her down on the bench, put his arm around her and go, you know what? This isn't working out. And then he'd get up and leave. <laughs> and so, <laughs> like, it, that, again, that's a public breakup, but it is very effective, right? Get in, say what you got to say, get up and leave, and you're done. So In a weird way, I respect it. I both want to cringe and also respect it at the same time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's great. Whew. This was this was an emotional episode. Oh my gosh, we've seen some highs, we've seen some lows, we learned some things. What more can you ask for on a spring football podcast? I can ask for some five star reviews. How about that? Five star reviews. Oh, we love some, it. Some ratings, some subscriptions. Maybe download the podcast an extra time or two. Oh all gosh, all of that. Yes. That's what I'm asking for. Absolutely, we appreciate the downloads. We love the subscriptions. Leave a comment. Rate us. We love all types of feedback. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. BK is at BK Sports Talk. And of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation. Uh, you know, of course, we appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. But uh, until then, M I Z. Z O U.